Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Cara tonight. And uh, the people who are here have got me in a joyful mood. Our topic is vessels broken and new. Uh, I've been thinking lately that for a lot of my life, I've read scripture most of my life, but uh, I feel like I was often asking somewhat the wrong question or a question that scripture only occasionally answered. Uh, tonight, for some reason, when we got into this topic of vessels, uh, this is, I told Carr, I, I warned her, it, we're just going to have to break down tonight and read the entire Bible. I, I, <laughs> you know, that, that's the only way to, to do it. Um, lots of water. So, yeah, lots of water. And um, uh, because there's a lot in Scripture about vessels that are broken, sometimes God says that he threatens to break a vessel and so on. There are other passages about a vessel being remade and, and uh, there's just a lot of fascinating things in here and so I hope to do some justice to this topic of vessels tonight and what it is, what, what is that in our lives uh, when something is broken and when something is reformed, how does that happen? So if you care to join me for that, good friends, let's open with a prayer. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, thank you for gathering us together in your holy name. You are the Word made flesh. We pray for your presence among us. Open up the pages of your Word, Lord. Teach us your language. Tell us your thoughts and your ways. Amen. So good to be with you, good friends. Sending love to those of you who are out online and on the phone and getting the audio. Vessels broken and new vessels broken and new let's go first to the scripture that started this all off um i like it's not the only way that we approach things in bible study but i like this approach of looking at a passage and then seeing some of the key words and then going looking at those things elsewhere to try to get a sense of what's going on uh, i just find that very rich let's go to isaiah in the middle of your bible chapter 30 Mm. Amazing, amazing passage. So uh, let's, let's start Isaiah chapter 30, uh, verse 9. Let's start there in verse 9. It's probably in the middle of a sentence, but... On that day... Oh, 30 verse... Are you 30. In, oh, you're in Ezekiel. Thank you. Not that I recognized it without peeking <laughs> over her shoulder. Don't, don't think I'm that, I'm that good. <laughs> <laughs> Isaiah chapter 30, people. verse oh, okay. Here we go. 9. Let's, let's try this. That this is a rebellious people, lying children, children who will not hear the law of the Lord, mm. who say to the seers, do not see. Yeah, now how can you tell the seers, don't see? No. Go on. And to the prophets, do not prophesy to us right things. <laughs> Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy deceits. Yes. Now, in the history of humankind, it probably hasn't actually literally happened that everybody, anybody went to a prophet and said, you know, don't tell us the right thing. <laughs> tell me something smooth. Uh, deceive me. You know, that's what I would prefer. Um, and yet, don't we do this all the time? There's wonderful stories in Scripture where 
people go to, you know, I think it's Jeremiah, and they say, you know, tell us the truth. What's the Lord going to do? He says, you're not going to listen to me. I said, no, we promise we'll listen to you. And then he says, okay, here's what the Lord said. And they say, he didn't say that. You know, that's their, that's their first response. So this is the setting. You see, this is about rebellious people who don't want to hear the law of the Lord. And when the Lord sends seers and prophets to people to say, hey, you know, this is what you need to be doing. They say, oh, don't say that. Tell me something, you know, that makes me feel good. Mm-hmm. Go on. Uh, this is continuing with what yes. they say. Get out of the way. Turn aside from the path. Cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. <laughs> so they're actually telling the prophets, not, you know, like, get off the, uh, uh, the holy path that you're on and get God out of the picture. Uh, go on. Therefore, thus says the Holy One of Israel. Because you despise this word. Very important word there, because. Okay, you know, like they started it. You know, because you despise this word. And trust in oppression and perversity and rely on them. Mm. Therefore, this iniquity shall be to you like a breach ready to fall, a bulge in a high wall whose breaking comes suddenly. In an instant. I just find that a very striking image. The idea of walking under a wall and then you see the stones are just bulging out like what is holding that up? And, and that thing's just going to come crashing down in, in a second. Uh, this iniquity will be to you like a breach. And, and uh, Swedenborg explains that the wall has to do with the literal sense of Scripture. It's sort of a protection and so it's as if your interpretation of Scripture is not right. Hasn't it been talking several times about the law of the Lord and the words? And because you despise this word, it'll be like a, 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 you know, a bulge in a high wall that's going to come crashing down in an instant. And then here's this image that haunted me. And he shall break it like the breaking of the potter's vessel, which is broken in pieces. Yeah, it uses the word break or broken three times there. He'll break it as the breaking of a potter's vessel that is broken in pieces. He shall not spare. So there shall not be found among its fragments a shard to take fire from the hearth or to take water from the cistern. Yes, thank you. And um, uh, I'll get back to that in a second. Let's just read that next verse because it's really beautiful. The next couple of verses. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel... In returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength, but you would not. And you said, no, for we will flee on horses. Therefore, you shall flee. Yes, right. And that will come true. Yes. Oh, no, we'll flee on. Yes, you will be running away. Yep. And we will ride on swift horses. Therefore, those who pursue you shall be swift. Mm. Yes, and it goes on with more threatening language along that line. Uh, one of the quickest ways to enjoy Scripture is to get used to reveling in threatening language because that's really basically what, a lot of what the Bible's all about. And uh, what it's saying here, and trying to find the mercy underneath it somewhere, but what I see it saying here, I thought at the end of verse 14 that image was so amazing that when this thing is so broken... What did it say? There won't be a shard of it, like a little sharp piece. You picture the pot, it's earthenware, it's clay or something, and it breaks into pieces. 
and you won't have a piece big enough to do what? There were two things. Take fire from the hearth. Take fire from the hearth or what? Or water from the cistern. Water from the cistern. Now, this is the kind of detail that I love in Scripture. This is why I enjoy Swedenborg's interpretation so much, because he will tell you that fire has to do with love, either a positive kind of love or a negative kind of love. Water has to do with truth, or it has to do with bad teachings if it's a flood and that kind of thing, as we talked about last time with clear shining after rain. And so that vessel will be so broken because of people's rebelliousness and iniquity and they're not wanting to hear the word, not wanting the, to listen to the prophets or follow the seers, uh, that that pot will become so broken, that vessel will become so broken that it can't hold any fire or any water. Now, from Swedenborg's perspective, that's an image of not being able to hold any love or compassion. It'll be so broken you can't carry, it won't hold any love anymore. You, you won't find it. And I think the context, because of the wall, because it mentioned the law of the Lord and you despise this word and so on, part of the context here, a lot of what Scripture is about, is about Scripture itself. And so it's the, the vessel is, in a way, your understanding of Scripture. You know, it's sort of that thing that you catch Scripture in. And that interpretation will become so broken you can't see any compassion in there and you can't see any truth and you can't carry them to anyone else. You know, you can't take fire from the hearth. So surely that's from the divine love, you know, from the Lord. You like to take fire from the hearth or water from the cistern. You, you won't get anything out of the word. You won't get any love from the Lord because that vessel that should be holding that will be so broken. That, that was very striking to me, that idea. And it's not, although... The way it expresses it is that the Lord says, he's going to break it. You know, I'm going to break your vessel. But in the verse before, wherever it was, two verses before, it, it's because, you know, it's because of their response. I mean, that's what's actually breaking it. Um, so this was the image that got me started. The idea of the potter's vessel that gets broken in pieces so it can't hold any fire, can't hold any love or compassion, can't hold any truth. What Scripture is supposed to be doing is giving us a vessel for compassion, for abundant compassion. We'll read some passages tonight about having a vessel and having oil in it. And oil is an image of that holiest and best kind of love, you know, love for God, love for your neighbor. And, um, and the water is this truth, you know, some pure water. Um, it, your, your, your reading, your, the vessel for the word in your mind won't be able to hold your whole approach to Scripture won't hold any compassion. It won't hold any real transformative truth, the kind of water that would keep people alive or something. That, that whole thing will be so broken. So isn't that fun? Let's uh, read some passages about vessels to try to get some context on this vessel and what is it talking about? What does it mean in our lives? Let's turn to the left and go all the way to the five books of Moses. You've got Genesis, Exodus, and the dreaded Leviticus. <laughs> Let's go to Leviticus chapter 6. Because uh, once you start looking in Scripture for an image like this, an image of a vessel, like I think when I used to read, and it's weird, I, I don't think I was all the way in that state that it was describing, of just saying, 
prophesy smooth things, you know. But I did want to hear some comfort. I don't think that's bad, but I just wanted to get a comforting, inspiring message from Scripture or something like that. Is that so much to ask? And, the, you know, practically the whole Old Testament is yelling, and then occasionally somebody says, they're there, and then goes back <laughs> to yelling again or something. Um, uh, but when you start asking the questions that the text raises, you know, you start asking, what is that vessel? What's going on? Why would God break a vessel so much that it can't hold any fire or water? What does that mean? Let's look at Leviticus chapter 6 and um, start at verse 24 there. Also, It'll sneak up on us here, but let's just read a few verses here. Also, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons, saying, This is the law of the sin offering. In the place where the burnt offering is killed, the sin offering shall be killed before the Lord. It is most holy. So this is a sacrifice that's made, you know, if you've committed a sin or something, there was this sacrifice, there was this way back. You could do something and, and uh, sort of re-endear yourself to God type of thing. The priest who offers it for sin shall eat it. In a holy place it shall be eaten, in the court of the tabernacle of meeting. Everyone who touches its flesh must be holy, and when its blood is sprinkled on any garment, you shall wash that on which it was sprinkled in a holy place. And here we go. But the earthen vessel... Oh, the earthen vessel, okay. ...in which it is boiled shall be broken. Oh, you break the vessel. Is that what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to break that vessel that it was boiled in, okay? And if it is boiled in a bronze pot... It shall be both scoured and rinsed in water. Okay, so there's a difference between your bronze pot and an earthen vessel, meaning clay. You know, if it's an earthen vessel, you have to break it. If it's a bronze pot, you scour it, you, you rinse it and, and cleanse it in that way. Okay, so the nature of this Bible study is it's going to be an exercise in mass frustration because there's all sorts of imagery here that we don't have time to explain, and that's flattering myself to think that I could explain it if there were time. Uh, but I want you to get the idea that, oh, look at that. Back in the Old Testament laws, they would say all these things that happened to this sacrifice for sin. Sacrifice for sin, but where you boiled it, break that vessel. You know, if it's a bronze vessel... You can just wash it, but if it's an earthen vessel, it has to be broken. So this points to the fact that there are different kinds of vessels, and Scripture talks about vessels of gold, vessels of silver. There were vessels like this in the temple. They were some of the most sacred objects. It was a disaster when those vessels would be carried away. There were also vessels of stone. And then tonight we're particularly thinking about the potter's vessel, you know, vessels of clay, of earthenware, and so on. Okay, so just file that in your fertile mind, good friends. And let's go to Leviticus chapter 11. Mm. Okay, ooh, this is just a wonder. I hope you enjoy this, dear reader. The first two verses here have a wonderful, you know, you wonder in, in, in the creation story, do you not, good friends, or am I a big nerd? Well, we already know that. Um, the, what the creeping things are. What are those creeping things? They're creeping things, creeping on earth. Well, give me a list. Oh, well, here, here's a list. Okay. Go. Verses 1 and 2? No, uh, Leviticus 11, verse 29 uh -huh. and 30. <clears throat> These also shall be unclean to you among the creeping things that creep on the earth. Ah. 
the mole. Okay, the mole, of course. The mouse. Mouse. And the large lizard after its kind. Okay, large lizard. The gecko. Oh. The monitor lizard, mm. the sand reptile, mm -hmm. the sand lizard, and the chameleon. Good. There you go. There's your list of creeping things. Go on. These are unclean to you among all that creep. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, all dear, that creep. Dear reader, Sorry. Go. <laughs> whoever touches them when they are dead shall be unclean until evening. Okay, so when these animals die, uh, if you touch them, you're unclean because these are unclean animals. You know, there was this idea in ancient Judaism that there were some wonderful animals like lambs and, and you know, sheep, rams, and so on, and, uh, and there were not good animals animals, you know, things with the cloven hoof and the pigs and so on. And so, um, go on. Anything on which, <clears throat> on which any of them falls when they are dead shall be unclean, mm. whether it is any item of wood or clothing or skin or sack, whatever item it is in which any work is done, it must be put in water. Interestingly, some of those, those of you who are reading the Old King James would see that it uses the word vessel several times in there. Oh. Any vessel of wood or raiment or skin or sack, whatever vessel it be. Go on. Oh, sorry about that. No, no, it's fine. We're and still it, good. We're and still it good. shall be unclean until evening. Then it shall be clean. Any earthen vessel... Oh, there you go. ...into which any of them falls, you shall break, and whatever is in it shall be unclean. Yes. So... Uh, you can rinse the other things, but the earth... What is it with Scripture? It's fascinating, isn't it? You can rinse the other thing, but that clay pot, as, you just got to break it. It had that dead, creepy animal in there, and uh, uh, you just have to break it. it it's unclean. Um, what I think this is talking about is that those creeping things correspond to or represent things in the human heart and spirit uh, that, are, that are creepy, for lack, lack of a better word. Uh, they're, they're all different kinds. You know, they're like even scientists today talk about the reptilian brain, don't they, and things like that. Uh, in other words, there's a part of us that's more like a, a cold-blooded reptile part or something like that. And that's a relatively unclean part. And if that unclean part dies in this vessel, we'll hopefully think some more about what that means. Uh, you just have to break the, you know, don't try to just rinse it out or something like that. If it's an earthen vessel, you, you just have to break that thing. It's no good. So how are we doing, friends? We're having so much fun, aren't we? Okay, uh, let's go to uh, 2 Kings. All right, so turn to the right a whole bunch. You go through Joshua, Judges, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. I want to go to 2 Kings chapter 4, and just we won't, don't have time to read this whole story, uh, but some of you may be familiar with this story where this woman cried out to the prophet Elisha and said that her creditors had come to try to collect a debt, and her husband was dead. She couldn't, she couldn't pay it. Uh, let's just read verses 2 and 3 maybe there. So Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in your, in your house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. A jar of oil. There's a vessel. All right. Then he said, go, borrow vessels from everywhere, 
from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. That's right. And then they pour out the oil. They've just got this one little, what was it called, a jar mm -hmm. of oil, but they pour it out into all the vessels and the oil just keeps coming and coming. So that's what I was talking about a little bit ago, that you have this image of vessels, and, but they have oil in them. And the, and the oil can fill as many vessels as you have. And Swedenborg says that what this means is that um, if you allow love to fill, if the vessels that you have in your mind, it's interesting that you borrow them from your neighbors, isn't it? That they're actually somebody else's vessel. But you borrow all the different types of knowledge that you can get uh, and, and, but, and fill them with love. The, the love will keep going until it fills every vessel you've got. And that's when it stops. So it's sort of an image of what should be right when the vessel's working the right way is that it's full of love and compassion. You know, and there's plenty of oil to go around. As many vessels as you got, that's how much oil you'll have. Um, so it's all about this something earthly, something uh, on this earthly plane containing something spiritual and heavenly, uh, sort of catching something of heaven in that vessel. Okay, let's uh, move along here. Let's go to Job. Oh, this is too much fun. First and Second Chronicles. Ezra, Nehemiah, etc. Go to Job chapter, if you get to the Psalms, you've gone too far. Go to Job chapter 10. So we're just looking at different vessel passages. I tried to sort them in rough order here. Um, I want to go to Job chapter 10 verses, um, well, look at the first two verses in there. My soul loathes my life. Yeah. I know. <laughs> That, that's a good place to be in your life, isn't it? My soul loathes my life. Have you ever felt that way, friends? Go I on. will give free course to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. <laughs> I will say yes, to God... I love giving free course to complaining, <laughs> but go on. I will say to God, do not condemn me. Show me why you contend with me. Show me why you're contending with me. Why am I going through such a hard time? Why is the Lord having going through such a hard time? Look at verses 8 and 9 down there. Your hands have made me and oh, fashioned see, me. See, fashioned me. This is like the Lord making a vessel. It's like Job is a vessel. Hey, you made me. You know, so what is so bad? You know, you made me. Go on. Your hands have made me and fashioned me an intricate unity. Yet you would destroy me. Yes. See, that's getting to the point. You know, why would you break that vessel? If, if you had that vessel, why would you break? I mean, you made me. I didn't make myself. Why are you breaking me? Go on. Remember, I pray, that you have made me like clay, mm. and you will turn me into dust again? <laughs> isn't that great? So we'll stop that nice reading there. Oh, and that's a good um, one. isn't that wonderful? I mean, it does go on to being poured out like milk and curdled like cheese, but the. Um, <laughs> You have made me like clay, and are you going to turn me back into dust? Like, at least the clay had some coherence. It was useful. Really, you're going to crush me to, to powder? That's, that's what's going on? I mean, you made me. Why, why would you wreck me, you know? Isn't that great? Uh, and let's look at, just real quick, let's look at Job chapter 16. Mm -hmm. Verses 11 and 12 that just seem kind of distantly related to this. God has delivered me to the ungodly. I think Job is still going through a difficult time in chapter 16 here. 
and turned me over to the hands of the wicked. Mm. I was at ease, but he has shattered me. Shattered me. Isn't that what we're talking about tonight? Shattering experiences. You ever been through something where there's a pow, like you can't even get the pieces back together again. What is the purpose of that? That's what Job is asking. Why would you shatter me? Go on. He also has taken me by my neck and shaken me to pieces. He has set me up for his target. His archers surround me. Mm. He pierces. Now, do you ever feel like a, a divine target? <laughs> like, you, you know, you got a target on your back. And um, why would that happen? Why would he, that shaking, that image of the shaking and so on, that was very powerful to me. We, we'll, we'll move on in the interest of time, but, mm -hmm. but it related to that breaking of the vessel, like what was so bad you made me, you know, what was so bad with the first version of me that you'd have to wreck it? Uh, let's turn to the right and go to Psalm 2, which is absolutely magnificent. Psalm 2. Psalm 2. Okay, the whole thing. Uh, let's just read verses 7 to 9, something like that. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Yes, and so people naturally think of, Christians naturally think of this as being a prophecy about the Messiah, about God coming into this world. You're my son. Today I've begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations, I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. And then listen to this. What a strange thing to say. You shall break them with a rod of iron. With a rod of iron. So if you had an earthen vessel and you had an iron rod, it's like rock, paper, scissors. Who's going to win? The iron rod is going to destroy that vessel, right? It's, it's just more powerful. So how strange to say that the Lord who's going to come into the world is going to have this iron rod and go on. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. So this is about people, isn't it? Like the nations. So weird to say in verse 8, I'll give you the nations for your inheritance. Sounds wonderful. Oh, good. You know, so what are you going to do with the nations now that you have them? Oh, I'm going to smash them with a rod of iron. I'm just going to break them in pieces. Well, what is that about? Is that the divine love? What is that talking about? Break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them in pieces. And how specific? Is it important? Probably not. It's only the Bible. It's a, why would it say the potter's vessel, like a potter's vessel? These details, you know, why would it say a potter's vessel? Break them in pieces like a potter's vessel. So let's meditate on that mystery while we turn to the right. And I want to go to Psalm 31. This is what David says when he's having a tough time. Let's look at verses 11 and 12. Oh, oh, this is power. Oh, we got to back up a little. Oh, it's too good. Let's go to verse 9. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. Mm. My eye wastes away with grief. Mm. Yes, my soul and my body. He's in a very similar state to Job, just like at the end of his rope, right? Go on. For my life is spent with grief and my years with sighing. So this is not like a bad hour or two. You know, this has been going on for years. My life is spent. That's the way you feel when you're in that state. Your whole life has been nothing but grief and your years sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity. 
and my bones waste away. Mm. I am a reproach among all my enemies, but especially among my neighbors. Now that's the painful part, isn't it? I'm approaching everybody, but especially my name. Like, it's the people nearest and dearest who are the most upset with me. Mm, it's just powerful. And I'm, and I'm repulsive to my acquaintances. Yeah, well, that's, that's a daily occurrence for me, but go on. <laughs> Those who see me outside flee from me. Yes, that's right. I am that's forgotten right. like a dead man, out of mind. And then what does he say? I am like a broken vessel. I am like a broken vessel. That's what he says. Isn't that interesting? Now in scripture, you know, I mean, you could just say, okay, that's just a metaphor, you know. But when you read all these things and it keeps coming back, David's saying, I'm like a broken, you know. He sees himself as a vessel. Numerous times in these passages, read them as literally as you possibly can. They're still about people, right? The people are vessels. And these vessels are getting broken. Why would they be broken? Okay, uh, that's tremendous fun. Uh, let's go <laughs> to the right. I have a strange sense of humor tonight, but the same as every night. Let's go to Isaiah. Uh, so turn to the right. I want to go to Isaiah chapter 8, I think. There's a bunch of great passages, and you remember that's where our kind of text for tonight came from, was from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 8, and... Um, Verses 9 and 10, what does the prophet say here? Be shattered, O you peoples, and be broken in pieces. Oh, okay, sure. Be both shattered and broken in pieces. That sounds good. So this is what the prophet is telling the people. Be, be shattered, be broken in pieces. Why would that be good? Give ear, all you from far countries. Gird yourselves, but be broken in pieces. Mm. Gird, uh, gird yes. yourselves, but be broken in pieces. Why not do it twice? You know, <laughs> maybe the pieces were still too large the first time. Oh. So break it again. We want to get down to the point where it won't hold any fire or any water. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Isn't that weird? Keep going. Yes. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. <laughs> yes. Go ahead. You know, it speak, won't do any good. Speak the word, but it will not stand. For God is with us. Mm. So here's this, uh, another kind of hostile statement, uh, you know, that, that uh, all these nations, the far countries and everything uh, will be shattered, will be broken in pieces. What is it talking about? So interesting. All right. I hope to explain later. God willing. Uh, let's turn to chapter 11. This doesn't mention a vessel, but this is about the Lord coming into the world. Uh, look at verse 1 there in chapter 11 of Isaiah. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Jesse, as you know, is Dave, King David's father. And so this is the idea of the Messiah. The branch is capitalized in my translation. And this is what the Lord is going to do. Look at verse 4. What's he going to do? But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. There's that rod again. And with the breath of his lips, he shall slay the wicked. Okay, there's that rod. All right, we're going to just have to break down and explain the rod at some point. The, um, uh, let's go to Isaiah chapter 29, shall we? Which is right before the, the chapter that we started off in. 29 verse 16. Okay. Mm. 
Surely you have things turned around. Shall the potter be esteemed as the clay? Here's the potter, here's the clay. So, go on. For shall the thing made say of him who made it, he did not make me? (laughs) It's a great sort of comic image, isn't it, of of a pot saying to the, no, no, he had nothing to, no, I just came about spontaneously. Uh, Go on. Or Or shall the thing formed say of him who formed it, he has no understanding? Yes, uh, not a good idea. Uh, So very interesting that, again, it assigns sort of human abilities to this vessel. Is the vessel going to say of the potter, he didn't make me? You know, uh, fascinating passage. So you see what I mean? Does Does the vessel imagery come up a fair amount in here? Let's go over the verse that we started with to Isaiah 45. Verse 9. Woe to him who strives with his maker. With his maker. Let the potsherd strive with the potsherds of the earth. (laughs) What is a potsherd? A potsherd is a shard or sherd of a pot. (laughs) It is a fragment of of a pot. So when you shatter a pot, it, it comes out in these little sharp... Pieces like that. That are called potsherds. And they're called potsherds, that's right. (laughs) So let the potsherds strive with the potsherds of the earth. And then again. Shall the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? (laughs) What are you making? (laughs) It's awesome, isn't it? You know, is the pot going to say, so what what did you have in mind for me? Yeah. Or shall your handiwork say, he has no hands. (laughs) The Lord has no hands. Yeah. You don't have hands, you know, says the pot to God. I mean, it's just amazing, isn't it? So again, what's clear, there's a lot that's murky in these passages, but what's clear is that the vessels are often associated with human beings. These are talking about human things, whole nations of people and so on. And there's this idea of breaking in this relationship with the potter, not admitting that the potter made you and and this kind of thing. Fascinating to me. Uh, Let's go to Isaiah 64. Toward the end of the book there, 64, verse 8. Fortunately, the people by this point are willing to admit what's going on. But now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are potter. And all we are the work of your hand. Isn't that beautiful? That's very nice. So there's all these different, you know, there's there's sort of the, there's the pot saying you didn't make me. And then the pot saying, you don't have hands, which for some reason I find particularly delightful. And, um, uh, but now it's saying, no, we're the clay, you're the potter. Like they got it straight. You know, you're fashioning me. You know, we are the work of your hands. You know, it is he who has made us and not we ourselves, as the psalm says. Very beautiful. Okay, we got to go to Jeremiah. We just the uh, union rules. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 18. We've got to read at some length in here. Start at verse 1. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something at the wheel. Uh-huh. 
And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. Oh, so there was a problem, like there was a flaw in it. So he's working away, but then whoops, oh, there's a flaw in it. It was marred. So what did he do? So he made it again into another vessel, mm. as it seemed good to the potter to make. Yes, look at that. He made it again. So when you're working with clay, that's part of the beauty of clay, right? Before you fire it, whoa, whoa, whoa. You don't like it? Mush it up and start again. Make something else. Uh, so it was marred, and he made it into something else as seemed good to him. Like, I, I would rather this be this way. And so he remade it. So you see why our, our topic tonight is vessels broken and new. You know, we have both of these images in Scripture that vessels can be broken. They can be reformed by the Lord. Um, go on. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying... O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter? See, the the Lord Lord. is always shifting it onto this human scale that he has Jeremiah go down and witness this scene with the potter. And then he says to the, has Jeremiah prophesied to the people, can't I, you know, can't I do this thing that you just saw the potter do where he reformed that pot? Go on. The Lord says, look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Mm. How can you escape that, you know? Powerful, okay? Mm. The instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a, a kingdom to pluck up, to pull down, and to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. Yes, and I'm very interested, naturally, good friends, that in the old King James, the word relent is the word repent. repent. I will repent of the evil that I thought to do to them. And so if they turn from their evil, relent is perfectly good too. But you see, it's still, it's, you might think that this image meant that, oh, God just made me hideous. What can I do? You know? Uh, but it's up to us how we respond. You know, what the, what the Lord, isn't that clear? So if that nation turns from their evil, I won't, I'm, you know, I'm not going to destroy the pot. It's up to you. Do you want to continue as a vessel or should I find something else? Are you willing to be reconstituted, you know, refashioned? Uh, look at verse 9. We'll just stop there, I guess. Verse 9. Oh, 9 and 10, I guess. And the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it, if it does evil in my sight so that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good with which I said I would benefit. Yes, that's right. So it's up to the people, not to God. He's got certain rules and if then and so on. But if people turn away and you see that it says, obey not my voice. See, all of this at some level is about Scripture, about the Lord's leading, and whether we accept it or not. Do we turn away from evil, which is what Scripture is trying to tell us to do, or do we not? And what effect does that have on our vessel? Look at chapter 19, start of the first verse. Thus says the Lord, go and get a potter's earthen flask. Oh, And take some of the elders of the people and some of the elders of the priests and go out to the valley of the son of Hinnom, which is by the entry of the potsherd gate. Oh, why not? And proclaim there the words that I will tell you (laughs) and say, 
Hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring such a catastrophe on this place that whoever hears of it, his ears will tingle. That's right. And why is this? Because they have forsaken me and made this an alien place, because they have burned incense in it to other gods, whom neither they, their fathers, nor the kings of Judah have known, and have filled this place with the blood of the innocents. They have also built the high places of Baal to burn their sons with fire for burnt offerings to Baal, which I did not command or speak, nor did it come into my mind. Yes, so these are various different things that the Lord never commanded people to do, but they've taken them on. These are all these different types of evil things. And let's jump down here to uh, verse 10. Then what does Jeremiah, after he says this strong speech to them, what does he do? Then you shall break the flask in the sight of the men who go with you. Yeah, so he's supposed to take this flask, this earthen flask, and give them this strong speech about whether they're doing the right thing or the wrong thing and so on, and then smash it. Mm-hmm. What is it with Scripture? It's so amazing. He's smashing it right in front of them. And then what does he say in verse 11? And say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, even so I will break this people and this city as one breaks a potter's vessel. Now, why does it have to be a potter's vessel? So interesting that throws that as a potter's vessel. I'll break this people and this city as one breaks a potter's vessel. Which cannot be made whole again. Okay, now in the previous chapter, there was a mar, he just... Refashion it, re-spin it, pull up another pot. But <coughs> this time, it, it, it's broken and it cannot be fixed. It's beyond fixing. Isn't that what he says? Mm-hmm. And uh, so, uh, again, doesn't it, isn't it clear that it's about people's reception of the Lord and His message? Uh, that's what determines whether your vessel gets broken or not. Okay, uh, just a few more here. Look at 32, Jeremiah chapter 32. Mm. Okay. Okay, he takes, yeah, he takes this evidence of this purchase. There's this great Jeremiah chapter 32 where Jeremiah is told to buy this worthless land, this burned out land in Babylon. And then what he's supposed to do when he purchases it, look at verse 14. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, take these deeds, both this purchase deed, which is sealed, and this deed, which is open, and put them in an earthen vessel that they may last many days. That's probably random. Scripture probably doesn't mean anything by that. Look at that. This, This buying this land, you're supposed to put it in an earthen vessel so it'll last a long time. These little details, they're so amazing to me. All right. Um... Oh, look at uh, chapter 48 in Jeremiah. Chapter 48, verses 11 and 12. This is about Moab, which is another nation in that area. Moab has been at ease from his youth. Mm. He has settled on his dregs. Oh, 
and has not been emptied from vessel to vessel. Wow. Now, isn't that about like decanting wine or something like that? Like you get the dregs. Aren't you supposed to like pour it off so you don't have that stuff in there? So he's, he's just sort of settled into the drag and nobody ever poured the good stuff off the top and left the, left the other stuff aside. Okay. Nor has he gone into captivity. Therefore, his taste remained in him and his scent has not changed. Unbelievable. There's, yeah, unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. The Lord wants to refine, you know, he wants to purify, he wants to take us through a process. But he's, no, he didn't allow himself to be poor. He just sort of, no, I'm fine the way I am. I'm all complacent. And so, it, that, so he still smells the same now as he always did, you know. Go on. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I shall send him wine workers who will tip him over and empty his vessels and break the bottles. Yes. What is it with these broken vessels? Keeps coming up in here. Is it just random? Does it mean something? Look at that. Jeremiah 48. Oh, look at verse 38 in that same chapter. A general lamentation on all the housetops of Moab and in its streets. For I have broken Moab like a vessel in which is no pleasure, says the Lord. A vessel in which there's no pleasure. Like there's supposed to be oil in the vessel. There's supposed to be pleasure in it. It's like once it's like, I, do you love this, honey? Do you still like having this around the house? No, get rid of it. You know, a, a vessel in which there's no pleasure. The Lord has broken Moab, the whole nation of Moab. Like that, that's a, a vessel that I don't care about anymore. What is going on here? Okay, uh, Daniel chapter 2. Okay, turn to the right, go through Ezekiel. Let's get to Daniel chapter 2. Isn't it interesting then, good friends? Let's start at verse 31. This amazing image of the, uh, the gold, you know, and the silver and all that. You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image, this great image whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. Mm. This image's head was of fine gold. Gold. Its chest and arms of silver. Silver. Its belly and thighs of bronze. Bronze. Its legs of iron. Iron. Its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. Clay. Okay, partly of iron. Partly of clay. Okay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. It didn't hit the image in the head or in the chest. That stone went for the feet. It broke, the, they were vulnerable, you know, the iron and the clay. It was kind of vulnerable and it went after those clay feet. This is where you get the idea of the feet of clay. And it broke them in pieces. Go on. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together. Oh. And became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. Mm. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now, I wouldn't have just thought of this as another one of the sort of broken clay passages. But what, is, what else is it? It's, it's about the clay and the stone smashes the clay. And, and then that stone becomes a great mountain that fills the whole earth. 
it gets rid of all everything that went before and then Daniel tells the interpretation of it and uh, uh, look down at verse 41. Whereas you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay. Now, wait a minute. It didn't say anything about potters before this. It's just a clay. It didn't use the word potter. But all of a sudden, this is potter's clay. What is going on here? It's, a, it's amazing to me. Okay. So you saw the feet and the toes, mm -hmm. partly of potter's clay. And partly of iron. And you remember, it was a rod of iron that would break the vessel, Right dash the potter's vessel in pieces, okay? The kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, mm. just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. There you go. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. Yeah, does that describe any of you, dear friends? Partly strong, partly fragile. Very interesting idea that in those toes, in the feet, in the toes. Mm. Yes, let's read verse 43. We just have to do that. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. Mm. So there's a lack of love or bonding or something. And then in verse 44, what happens? And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. Mm, you mean the vessel won't be broken. Go on. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. Okay, but... It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, mm. and it shall stand forever. So the kingdoms equal the, the vessels, equal the clay, right? It's going to break. It's never going to be destroyed. Isn't this about the Lord's church, isn't this about his coming into the world? And that uh, that stone, which is the, an image of the Lord, that that's going to break these other things, the clay and so on, uh, and it will stand forever. It'll break in pieces and destroy all those other kingdoms as if they were vessels. So interesting. All right. Uh, that's too fascinating. Uh, let's go to the New Testament. Flip over into Matthew to the right. It's not that far away from here. Let's look at chapter 9, verse 17, which comes to mind when you talk about these things. This is the words of Jesus. You, I think you'll see the connection. Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins, or else the wineskins break. Aha, they break. You see a broken vessel, a wineskin that breaks. You put new wine in, it breaks. That's what we're talking about tonight, right? The wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined, but they put new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. It's very interesting to me that the Lord is concerned because he's been talking about practices. They say, you know, why do these people fast and you don't and all that kind of thing. And the Lord says something about these wineskins. And it's fascinating. He's not only concerned about the new wine, because he's worried about the new wine spilling out, but he's also worried about the old wineskin that it would break. Isn't that right? It says, if you, if you put new wine in new wineskins, then both are preserved. Uh, he's concerned about those old wineskins breaking. 
Now, this is a little different spirit than you get in the Old Testament where it says, I'm going to come with a rod of iron and just smash that vessel. You know, this is more concern about that vessel. What, what's going to happen to that vessel? Uh, look at Matthew chapter 13. We're having so much fun. It'll stop pretty soon. But, you know, 13 verses 47 and 48. In other words, oh. these little, little details. I just love this passage here. 1347. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea mm. and gathered some of every kind. Some of every kind. Which when it was full, they drew to the shore and they sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but threw the bad away. Why do you need the vessels? Do you have to have the vessels in there? It's very interesting that the vessels get in there, that you're going to put the good ones into vessels and throw the other <laughs> ones away. So this is a good good kind of vessel there. It's just that type of detail that's fascinating to me. Look at Matthew chapter 25. We're not quite reading the whole Bible, but we're getting close, aren't we, friends? <laughs> 25, uh, the first four verses there. You probably know this parable. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps. And, and you notice the lamps get mentioned first. They took their lamps. And took no oil with them. Oh, but no oil. So the oil is secondary. They took their lamps. They were sure to show up with their lamps, but they didn't particularly have any oil. And look at the reverse order in the next verse. But the wise took oil. They took oil, not lamps. They took oil. In their vessels with their lamps. Thank you for the vessels. That was nice. <laughs> nice touch there. So again, just like that Old Testament miracle, get all the vessels you can get a hold of. Let's put the oil into those vessels. So uh, that order seems very significant. Um, so there's another mention of oil and vessels. Let's look at John chapter 19. So turn to the right through a couple of gospels. Go to John 19. Coming down the home stretch. Good patient friends. Um, verse 28, this is the crucifixion in the Gospel of John. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there. Look at that, a vessel right in the crucifixion, you got a vessel in there. And what does it have in it? Does it have oil? It has sour wine. And the Old King James has vinegar in there. Right. And they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Yes. So in this gospel, that's the absolute last thing is a vessel. This vessel has the wrong stuff in it, and it's done. That, that's the situation. He doesn't, he doesn't break it, uh, but the vessel has the wrong stuff in it. He refuses it, and then he dies. Uh, or, you know, his body dies, and then he's resurrected after that. Turn to the right. Let's go to Acts chapter 9. You may remember that Saul, who became Paul, was going on the road to Damascus, and the light came down, and the Lord appeared to him and converted him to Christianity, which was really amazing. And he was struck blind... And this other place, person named Ananias was told to go lay his hands on him and heal him. 
And Ananias objected because Paul had been so horrible to the other Christians that he thought, surely not. And what does the Lord say in verse 15 to Ananias about Paul? But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine mm. to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Yes, Paul is a vessel. He's a vessel. He's a chosen vessel to me. Isn't that amazing? How can you escape in these scriptures the idea that vessels have something to do with the human mind, with human beings, uh, because they keep being referred to as vessels? All right, a few more quick scriptures. Let's turn to the right, go shooting through Romans, and get to, oh, let's say, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. There's a few more little verses in here. Oh, so great. But we'll just read the one verse there, verse 7. This is Paul talking about this knowledge of the Lord. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We have this treasure, this knowledge of the Lord. We have it in earthen vessels. And what is the purpose of having an earthen vessel? Because it shows that it's of God and not of ourselves giving the credit to the Lord. Like that passage that says, hey, you're, you're the potter. You made us. Give the, give the, uh, give the credit to the Lord. Uh, turn to the right. Go through Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians. We're going to things that start with a T. I want 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. That's before Timothy. Okay. Yep. We truly are coming down the home stretch here. Okay, verse 3. For this is the will oops no that's yep. right. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. That's right. Good idea. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Look at that. Your vessel is you. It's your behavior. It's it's who you are in the world. And look at Paul telling people, you know, we just read that Paul was a vessel. Here he's telling other people, hey, know how to possess your vessel in sanctification and honor. And read verse 5. Not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That's right. Look down at verse 7. I love that. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Yes. So the holiness is so important, like what you have in your vessel. Right? If you've got sexual immorality in there, that's, that's not the will of God. What He wants is your sanctification, that you know how to possess your vessel in sanctification and honor. That's a powerful vessel passage. Uh, turn to the right and you go right into 1 Timothy. I want to go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, start at verse 20. See what I'm talking about? whole Bible. It's not really about anything else. It's just the vessel thing. That's, that's the whole story of the Bible. I didn't realize it until this week. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Oh, wood and clay. Not just gold and silver, but wood and clay. Some for honor and some for dishonor. Okay, so that sounds like the gold and silver, they're they're fancy. You know, it's like the bronze thing that you have to scour and rinse, whereas the, the clay one, you just smash it. You know, it doesn't matter as much. Go on. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, meaning dishonor, I think, yeah. he will be a vessel for honor, oh. sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Now, listen to that. 
It says we have to cleanse ourselves. We have control over what sort of vessel we are. Isn't that what it suggests? Mm -hmm. If you purge yourself of this iniquity and the dishonor and so forth, then you'll be a vessel unto honor in the language of the old King James. That's right. Sanctified and prepared for the master's use and for every good work. And look at verse 22 because it gives you a little idea of what you're supposed to be doing. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Yeah, that's how to purge your vessel. That's how to be a better vessel. Okay. Mm. All right. I think I will just end with two scriptures here that add another interesting wrinkle. Go to the book of Revelation all the way to the right there are four passages on this in the book of Revelation. I was going to read just the in 21 verse 5. It just says, Behold, I make all things new. You know, this, the Lord is forming the pot. It's marred. Whoops. He wants to make it new. And he says at the end of the book of Revelation, I make all things new. You know, behold. Look at Revelation chapter 2. Now, think about this for a second. Because in the Old Testament, there's all this stuff about the vessel. And the vessel's going to be broken. You know, the Lord will come into the world with a rod of iron. He's going to break the vessel in pieces. It won't carry any, you know, it won't even have as much. You can't carry fire, can't carry water anymore. Um, so you might be mistaken, you know, you might be, it would be justifiable to think that, oh, this is about when the Lord came into the world, that he created a new vessel. That's what he was doing here. But the book of Revelation is written after the Lord was resurrected. And look at what the Lord says in chapter 2, verse 27. Let's look at verse 26 first. First, 25. Let's start at verse 25. Do I hear for 24? Okay. But hold fast what you have till I come. Says the Lord. This is about His second coming, right? He's already come once. This hold fast till I come again. All right? And He who overcomes and keeps my works until the end... To him I will give power over the nations. Uh-huh. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. This is the person, who, this is not even the Lord, this is the person will rule the nations with a... Well, that's what we read in the Old Testament. He's going to rule the nations, that's what Psalm 2, right? It said, rule the nations with a rod of iron. Okay, go on. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels. Mm. Dashed to pieces like the potter's... Same theme we've been... So at the very end of Scripture, we're still smashing vessels. What, what's going on here? Go on. So to him I will give power over the nations, as I also have received from my Father. As I also have received from my Father. Now this is a very important detail that I misunderstood for a long time. Uh, as I also received from my Father. So let's hold that in our minds. Go to the middle of your Scriptures... And we just read one last verse here, Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is so, look at the way it begins. It's incredible. It's all about the Lord, obviously, from a Christian perspective. Look at verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Yes, that's right. And the whole thing is this despair that the Lord feels. Verse 6, I'm a worm. You know, I'm not a human being. I'm despised by everybody. It talks about people casting lots for his clothing. Uh, look at verse 14. I am poured out like water. I am poured out like water. Interesting, okay. 
And all my bones are out of joint. That Job said that same thing about the, the bones and the joints and so on. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. Mm. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. Like a potsherd. I don't know what that means. But fascinating that it comes in here, isn't it? The Lord is talking about this amazing suffering that's going to happen on the cross in you know, the voice of David in the Psalms. And he says, my strength is dried up like a potsherd. And my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. Okay. So to go back to Revelation 2, 27, it says uh, in the Old King James, even as I received of my father, you know, like he'll rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter, they should be broken to pieces, even as I received of my father. I always took that to mean that last phrase to mean that the Lord received this command. He had to come with a rod of iron or give that rod to his people. It's going to break that vessel. And uh, this was the command that he was given. But I'm seeing it in a different light tonight. When you read Psalm 22 and other passages, what he means is my vessel. My vessel was broken. This is what I received. This is what Jesus did when he was in the world. He came into the world and had his vessel smashed. He had his earthen vessel smashed. The reason you need a rod of iron, why wouldn't it be a rod of gold? Why not have a vessel of gold? Why a rod of iron to smash a clay pot? It's because iron, gold has to do with something heavenly up at the top. Silver is something spiritual. The iron is something all the way down on this earthly level. And the fact is that if you have the pot your whole worldview, that little thing you've been working on. Kids literally in elementary school work on little earthen pots, don't they? Bring them home to their parents. You know, we've been working on this earthen vessel of here's my understanding. This is what I th who I think God is. This is what I think the world is, who other people are, how I should treat them, and so on. You got your, your vessel. But if you made it, if you were the potter yourself for that thing, all that thing holds is you're loving yourself more than God and loving the world more than the neighbor. You know, that's what you've got. Your vessel's not good. It's full of sour wine. The Lord won't drink it, you know. And if the whole of, you know, the whole of religion has gotten to the point where all it's got in it, it's so broken, it can't hold any compassion or any truth. The Lord has to do something about that. It's amazing that when he was in the world, he went through this himself and allowed the vessel of his own lower self. You see, the reason it has to be a rod of iron, I'm jumping around a little bit here, is that it's on the same level. The, 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 the rod of, of gold is up here with the vessel of gold. You know, it, it's on the wrong level to deal with your clay problem. You got to have a rod of iron. It's amazing to me that it's truth uh, on that outermost level. That's what Scripture's trying to do. That's what the Lord did when He came into this world to try to teach us things, to break up. So when you start to look at it in this light, it is something devoutly to be wished to have your pot smashed. You know, we have our old vessel that we made with our whole thing and our resentments and our understanding of everything and who we think God is and all this stuff but it's full of junk. It's not a good 
pot. It won't hold compassion. It's got no transformative truth. There's nothing we can give anybody else from it. It doesn't come from the Lord, you know, from the hearth, no fire from the hearth. It doesn't come from the Word. There's no water from the cistern. It's too broken. It can't hold anything in it anymore. What the Lord wants to do is just say, oh, that's a little marred. Let's remake it. Okay, here we go. Just make it into something different. It's only when people refuse that the pot becomes so broken that you'll never make anything out of it again. You know, that'll never work. It's all about that. This, what these stories are about tonight. Um, see, I have to use the word knowledge. Knowledge. There, I said it. Uh, knowledge is part of what we're talking about. See, knowledge is a vessel. Sometimes you think it's sort of an end in itself, like I really want to just know things and that's cool. But it's supposed to hold, it's a vessel. It's supposed to hold things. But if your knowledge is bad, like, you know, like you, your knowledge is not working, it's not holding the right stuff, it's not holding compassion. Your knowledge of the word gives you an angry God and some idea of a rapture or, or something, you know, that's not true. Uh, the Lord wants to break that thing. Because you were the potter of that first vessel. You made it according to your purposes. The potter is the purpose behind forming this thing. So you had a certain agenda. Well, I want to seem like I'm smart, or I want to so-and-so, or whatever it is. You know, uh, that's, that's why you formed that thing. Uh, the Lord wants to break that pot, that vessel, and give you a new something new. He wants to form a new thing. When he came into this world, he wanted to do that with religion as a whole, create a new vessel. It's so amazing to me that at the end of the book of Revelation, he's still talking about making a new, you know, like we're going to have to make a new, new one. We're, we're going to make a new one. And you start to see the compassion in it. In those Old Testament passages, it says, I've got a rod of iron. I'm just going to, you know, it's because of your iniquity and you wouldn't listen to me. I'm just going to smash that thing. But when you realize from that New Testament that he says, this is what I went through. The Father means the divine love. This is what the Lord, this is what his own divine love caused him to go through was that he came into this world. He had a pretty nice pot. He had a pretty good vessel. You know, he'd learned a lot of scripture since his childhood. He was so smart in the temple when he was 12 years old. The, the doctors and the, the learned scribes and everywhere were astounded at, at the answers that he was giving and everything like that. He had a good vessel, but he still broke that thing because that was still from his lower self. And what you need is to get the potter, the Lord, our maker, to make that new thing. Uh, one more point I want to make. I know I have you over time a little bit, good friends. But um, some of you who have read Swedenborg might have run into this phrase, repentance, reformation, and regeneration. What we're talking about here is reformation. Remake your pot. It's about your truth. It's about your understanding. Allowing the Lord to bring you to a different... Oh, I see the compassion in Scripture. I thought it was all yelling but I see it in there now. It changes it so much when you see that the Lord said, no, I went through this. I came into the world. I had my pot broken. I know how you feel when you're shattered. I know how you feel when you're Job and you feel like a broken vessel. You know, I know how that feels when you're David. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt, like there's nothing left. You know, it's not going to hold anything anymore. 
I, I know what that's like. I've been through that. And I can carry you through the process of making a new, a new vessel for you. So in conclusion, when you feel your vessel being shattered, rejoice and leap for joy. The potter is making you into something new. Thank you, good friends. Let's close with a prayer. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we pray for the willingness to be remade. We understand, Lord, that sometimes when the pain gets so great, that's when you're right beside us, wanting to carry us forward into a new state. You felt shattered many times when you were in this world. And look at what happened. Look at what you became, divine all the way down to your fingernails, your toenails disappearing from the tomb. You really transformed that earthen vessel. Lord, we pray that you reform our vessels. Give us an understanding. Give us wholeness so that our minds, ourselves, our spirits are able to carry your compassion to others, your transformative truth. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting, friends, so that at some point we can be also reformed. Yeah. <laughs>